Welcome to another episode of Sound Digressions. This one is a bit on the rambly side. I think I had... <laughs> certainly had a lot of stuff prepared, but I didn't have like a cohesive kind of way of presenting it, and I just went and rambled, stumbled through everything that was on my page. It starts off a little slow. Even if, even after I cut the opening I recorded, it starts off slow, but it, it picks up. <laughs> it picks up until you know I talk mostly about censorship and disinformation, and then uh, capital off with a little shout out to BA2. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. I have very little interest most of the time in checking out RT.com. It used to be called, I think it was Russian Times, or Russia, or Russia Today. I can't remember. Uh, one or the other. <laughs> but it's been briefed down to RT. RT.com. And it's also a news channel. Uh, news broadcaster. And they've been removed from YouTube. And they've been uh, downgraded on Google searches. And... For the whole day today, I couldn't uh, reach Russian Times, RT.com, sorry, and I kind of have, in a haze, heard a story that Canada had banned them, uh, but I think there was a ban on the news channel, not on the website. But the website was down for most of the day, or it seemed to be up, but I couldn't have access to it. So I thought, well, did Canada, did Canada, um, ban this website? And I was really concerned. It was like, okay, I know that the European Union moved fairly swiftly to ban, uh, not only RT.com, RT, the, the news channel as well. But they also moved again Sputnik News, I believe. So there was a sense for me that it was coming here. And I don't know exactly what happened throughout the day, why or this morning why RT was not available. But I just checked it right now and it seems to be back up. And I must say, I quite like it in a sense i can understand that they're offering like an alternative perspective to what we're getting from say the cbc or the national post or the globe and mail or any other large mainstream canadian news sources and i like it, it you know looking at it i like i said i it's not one of my regular news sources, 
until this week. And I was like, oh, let's check it out. Let's see what, what the hullabaloo is about. And it kind of reminded me of Al Jazeera 10 years ago, even like seven, eight years ago. Al Jazeera has really, in my view, has really gone down. Um, I mean, not down per se. I mean, it's... It really reads a lot more like the New York Times now. It reads a lot more like the Washington Post. It's a lot more friendly to Western perspectives. To And my suspicion is that they eventually hire too many Brits. I don't know. That's my suspicion. Or maybe too many Americans. I don't know. Um, but Al Jazeera really seemed... For for the first, for, the, for over the last three weeks, it has seemed as focused, as myopically centered on the invasion of Ukraine as many other Western news websites have been. And this was something that was that used to be different about Al Jazeera, why I really liked it. I remember in 2016, 2017, even in 2018, even back then, you know, I was like, you know, I like Al Jazeera because it's not all about Trump. I feel like <laughs> there was a lot of centrist mainstream media. Oh, you know, this was a story for for fucking years, it was like the only fucking story going. Trump. And reading Al Jazeera, you're like, oh, wait, there's a whole other world. There's a whole world that exists outside this Trump bubble. So, that was a relief. To read about other parts of the world where things of consequence are happening. And I feel like RT gave me a little bit of a sense of that, that, you know, despite the gravity, despite the importance of what is happening in Ukraine, there are other things happening in the world right now. There is not only one news story happening right now. So that's refreshing. I feel like <laughs> I listen to the CBC in the mornings, to some different shows, and I've had to stop. And it's very similar to their coverage of COVID, in which is like it's nonstop 24 7, it seems like their coverage of Ukraine has taken a similar turn. And it is <laughs> at times good, often mediocre, at times really bad. Um, <laughs> they ran a story. Uh, I'm going from memory here. It's been like over a week since I read it. Uh, but warning people about misinformation 
but they they take it they, they take like the premise that misinformation only comes from Russia that misinformation is a Russian development because they've invested so much into their cyber warfare whatever capabilities that misinformation is a direct has a direct Russian connection every time when we know it's not the case anyone paying attention to the news knows that it's not the case uh, I mean they were beating the drums again anti-russia drums for the last like five years right on a phony story about Trump being tied to Vladimir Putin, being a puppet of Putin, being beholden to Putin in some way, in some very critical way, even though no, absolutely no evidence ever emerged. Mr. Robert Mueller, former superhero, well, <laughs> we can get into that too. We'll get into that a little bit too. Into like this, this, this desire to have celebrity superheroes um, in, amongst public officials. Uh, I mean, it happened to Fauci too. Robert Mueller was, you know, was that for a brief moment because you know the walls were closing in on Trump. Uh, they still, <laughs> they still haven't found any evidence of Russian collusion. Investigations by the CIA, the FBI, have all come back with nothing. You know, and you know you can't prove a negative. That is to say. You can't absolutely show that there is that you can't say collusion never happened. What you can say is you found absolutely zero evidence for collusion, which is what what happened. Um, there were some business ties with like various Russian people, but uh, there was no collusion. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> it would. What's infuriating about that story is that even though a few people have successfully point, pointed out, you know, you citing evidence, citing um, the Attorney General's report that conducted the investigation into this um, General Ashcroft, I think. Um, anyway, that, the, you know... The internal investigations didn't find any collusions. Robert Mueller, with what seemed an unlimited budget for investigators, didn't find any collusion. And yet, I listened to an episode of Canada Land recently, which I both love and hate. Um, sometimes they seem to do good work. Sometimes they do stupid, messy work like this, where they, the reporter, the reportage was taking for granted 
that the some whatever Russian operatives had interfered in the 2016 election and <laughs> and handed over the presidency to Trump in some way. Maybe you believe that too. I don't know. Uh, I'm feel like I've run a couple of of episodes of my podcast on that, on how that's false. But I get the feeling that my, I, I'm in the minority because uh, anyway, like listen to re, to like a report in 2022 that takes it for granted that Russia stole the 2016 election by an alternative news source, right? It's not, I would expect that from like mainstream media in some way, but like what something that's like Canada land that's been presented as an alternative to that, reciting the same lines. It's uh, depressing. Um, it's pathetic. Um, anyway, <sighs> all that to say, <laughs> that misinformation is coming from all angles right now. And coupled with that, it is this fanfare to, to support Ukraine, to, to the virtual signal support for Ukraine in all ways possible. And the first story, the first news story I'll talk about today, <laughs> very briefly, uh, just I found first on RT.com and the headline is Lego, fi Lego figures, Lego figures of Zelensky and Molotov cocktails raise over $16,000. The first paragraph uh, is an independent Chicago-based retailer, Citizen Brick, has raised over $16,000 by selling custom-made Lego figurines of Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky and Molotov cocktails branded with an Ukrainian flag. <laughs> so, the new world, sexiest man, a title. <laughs> a title I doubt he was seeking in any fucking way. World's newest sexiest man. Sorry, Fauci, you're out the door. Uh, sorry, runner-up. Um, well, distant runner-up Horatio Ruta. You're ready. <laughs> Got kicked out. Um, early January. World's sexiest man. Volodymyr Zelensky has a Lego figurine <laughs> made after him. They're talking about giving this guy the Nobel Peace Prize. And I don't know for what. For being invaded? <laughs> and deciding not to flee? I... Uh, okay, I mean, it is largely a symbolic prize. They did give it 
to Barack Hussein Obama. <laughs> I don't know why I took the extra step <laughs> to say his middle name. Anyway, <laughs> they gave it to President Obama while, <laughs> while he was bombing multiple countries around the world. Uh, if I remember correctly, let me, let me list the countries bombed by President Obama. So we have Iraq and Afghanistan. We have Somalia. We have Libya, Syria, Pakistan, Yemen. Am I missing any? I think there were seven. And all of them predominantly Muslim countries. So it was fine. Uh, let's give him a peace fucking prize. Uh, this obsession with Zelensky is, uh, is bizarre because there is all these ovations coming out without any of the giving him what he wants, which is a no-fly zone. So, in countries all over the world, well, mainly European countries, Canada and the United States are providing him with weapons, are providing his army, the Ukrainian army, with weapons. And but they're not giving him the Air Force support that he keeps clamoring for. So there's this very, um, how would you say it, performative ovations of Zelensky happening around the world. And they stay that way. They stay at the performative level. For the most part, um, <laughs> there's, yeah, I don't know. I, I I listened to something else the other day, and just like the guy sounds weary, he sounds tired, he sounds, he doesn't look <laughs> like he's feeling as sexy. <laughs> as the world's trying to make him out to be, or much of the world anyway. And it's ah, this kind of depressing turn of watching, watching this man try to lead a country under terrible circumstances and pleading for help, for a particular kind of help, and not receiving it. And <sighs> it's funny, it's odd. Uh, in, in terms of performative bullshit, um, I read another news story from a couple of days ago from, I read it through AP News, and it was about 
the coming from the zoo, from a zoo in the in in the Czech Republic. They named a newly born rhinoceros, a critically endangered eastern black rhinoceros baby, has just been born, and they named it Keith. It's like, <laughs> who the fuck is this helping? Like, oh my god. It's like getting a BLM tattoo as a white person, you know? It's just like, <laughs> or whatever, getting a BLM tattoo on your baby rhino, you know? It's just like, <laughs> what the fuck is that doing? You know, it's just, it's so, I mean, like the BLM protests are a good example of like how performative things go. Um, LGBTQ rights are a good example of how performative things have gotten where even like, the CIA is posting rainbow flags for pride, right? It's like, wait, wait a fucking minute. You, cops? Right? Um, thanks. And one story that I ran into that really hasn't gotten quite as much attention as many other things really has come under the radar. Uh, which I found fascinating, which I found really touching, which I found to be truly delivering an anti-war message comes from Italy. Italy has been supplying weapons to Ukraine. And apparently Italian airport workers refuse to load weapons bound for Ukraine. And I feel like that's a very controversial thing to do right now. To refuse to collaborate in the effort to send weapons to Ukraine. But this Italian airport workers did it out of an anti-war sentiment. They were, they've been tasked, uh, apparently, um, with loading. And I'll, I'll read, I'll read a paragraph from the story. I found it in Il Manifesto, an Italian website, uh, which is published in English, uh, apparently, or at least some of the stories. I don't regularly read it. It's their global edition. I, one paragraph reads, the workers who are tasked with loading and unloading goods discovered that the flights departing from the airports towards Ukraine weren't only humanitarian only humanitarian flights with food and medicines for the Ukrainian population, when they found themselves loading crates full of various types of weapons, ammunition, and explosives, they refused to load the material, reporting the incident to the USB union, their local union. The union, which has called for a no-war demonstration on Saturday at Galilei Airport, has called on the air traffic control structures of the civil airport to immediately stop these flights of death disguised as humani humanitarian aid and on the workers to continue to refuse to load weapons and explosives that are feeding a spiral of war that can only stop with an immediate ceasefire and the relaunching of peace talks. 
I, you know, like, I haven't found this story anywhere else. I think originally I found it on Reddit. And it's, you know, I feel like it takes a lot more courage to take a stance like this, like this airport workers have, than to create a Lego in the image of Zelensky, or to name a zoo animal Kiev. So, but right, but uh, in this moment, it feels like something that feels courageous is given less value than something that appears virtuous. And... <laughs> Don't ask me to, like, fully flesh out these thoughts. I'm just... I feel like I'm... I'm just... I'm going off the cuff here. Uh, I'm just imagining somebody like analyzing what I'm saying. Maybe I'll just listen back to what I'm saying and be like, Samuel, what are you going on here? What's this virtuous versus um, <laughs> courageous thing? Anyway, I feel like what the this Italian airport workers did was courageous and not just kind of like this meaningless virtue signaling uh, actions posturing, performative, uh, whatever that so many other people are doing. I, I, I think I've already railed on like people putting little Ukrainian flags on their Twitter handles. It's just like, fuck off. <sighs> Last week, like another story that came out that kind of like infuriated me and like confused me and it was anyway it was um the story of the russian pianist alexander malofiev who was first banned or you know he had his performances canceled by the vancouver recital society and then later on by the orchestre symphonique de montreal and they canceled his performances because he's Russian. That's it. That's and the Vancouver Recital Society first banned him for being Russian and stipulated that uh, that he needed to show that he was anti-war, that he was anti- uh, the invasion in order to perform for them. And he did. Like, really, later that day, or I think the day after, he posted on social media, like, a very strong message. It's like, um, anti-war. He was opposed to the war. He mentions that he has family in Ukraine. And, he, you know, he's very humble about the cancellation of his performances, noting that, you know, like, his inconveniences pale in comparison to the suffering that family members of his are going through in Ukraine. But even but that wasn't enough. Then <laughs> then the 
Vancouver Recital Society that this judo move where like well, actually wait now we're we're doing it for your safety because apparently a, a Russian community center had been vandalized in Vancouver so now they're doing it for his safety and it's like yeah thanks fuck off fuck off to hell Vancouver Recital Society never going there again never went but now. <laughs> Because it's kind of far. Vancouver's the other side of the country. But <laughs> if I happen to be in Vancouver, I will spit in the direction of the Vancouver Recital Society at some point during my visit. I'll have to ask a few locals to point it out. <laughs> and then the Orchestre Symphonique de Montréal does the same thing. Uh, they cancel his performances for being Russian. And, and then, and then, new character enters the scene. Um, the Canada Arts Council, uh, decides that in solidarity with the Ukrainian people, uh, they will withhold funding. Um, and let me read from their blog post. Uh, when was this dated? When was this dated? It doesn't have a date on it. What the fuck? Uh, published March 4th. Uh, they say, their blog post reads, As of today, all activity involving the participation of Russian or Belarusian artists or arts organizations will cease to be funded by the Canada Council for the Arts. This includes partnerships, direct and indirect financing of tours, co-productions, participations in festivals or other events held in Russia. So... My understanding was when the first when the story first came out and I read it in I think it was the Montreal Gazette where I first became aware that uh Simon Bro I think that's that's who the head of the of the Canada Council is and the author of this well it's attributed to the Canada Council but he's the one who has to like speak about it when I first uh heard the story i had the sense that he was just like clear cutting clear cl it was a clear cut ban on all things russian russian associated and you know that was followed so closely after the concert pianist the russian concert pianist um alexander malofiev being performances being cancelled that it seemed like um, the Canada Council was endorsing those decisions. And then I heard an interview on Ottawa Morning with Mr. Bro, and it seemed more nuanced a little bit. Like he made, he, he wanted to distance himself from the decisions from, from those two organizations, the Vancouver and the Montreal one. And he seemed to insinuate very much that what the Canada Council was doing was really more 
targeted at tours by Canadian artists, uh, working in collaboration with Russian organizations or Russian artists. Um, you know, that they were like really stopping funding for things happening in Russia. So I was like, yeah, okay. So I felt like when I first read about what the Canada Council was doing, I felt like this guy sounds like a total fucking tool. And then I hear his interview and it's like, okay, his position is a little bit more nuanced than what I, I got from the news. And it seems in some ways more reasonable. You know, he he's not banning Russian culture, Russian artists. But uh, but instead, just uh, engaging in um, in stopping collaborations with organizations on Russian soil. So I was like, okay, so maybe it's not as extreme as I thought it was at first. But then I read the statement on the Canada Council website, and it's not clear. You know, like, I can totally understand why people got the sense that he was cancelling all things Russian-related, including Russian artists who were opposed through the actions of their government. <sighs> what a fucking mess. What a fucking mess. Ah. Uh, <sighs> There are many other dumbass stories out there, like the cancellation of like uh, productions of Anna Karenina. I think uh, I heard that the Anastasia was pulled off Disney Plus, um, but that one seems to be like it was already going to happen anyway. It just happens to coincide with what's going on. Um, anyway. <laughs> And then, <laughs> oh, and then adding to the to the wave of stupid, um, the Washington Post, reliable, reliable as ever, democracy dies in darkness. The Washington Post prints a story. Well, they, they print the they, they post a tweet, um, an opinion, you know, promoting an opinion piece by Kathleen Parker. And the tweet reads, Volodymyr Zelensky has gone a long way toward redefining manhood in a time of gender muddle and animus towards men. <laughs> Volodymyr Zelensky, the modern warrior artist. Um, yeah. <laughs> Fuck, what, wow, what, this guy, the, the, the things, not only does he, <laughs> is he being tasked with running a country under invasion, <laughs> he's now carrying the burden of what, he, what manhood means. <laughs> Ah, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs>
quit sexifying public figures. It just like it doesn't make any fucking sense. <sighs> Let me read some more <laughs> from the Washington Post. A video of a duo singing Endless Love, the 1981 song by Lionel Richie and Diana Ross, identified the singers as Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky and his wife, Olena Zelenska. It immediately went viral. If something seems too good to be true, it probably is. PolitiFact correctly identified the singers as Alejandro Manzano of the, ba of the band Boys Avenue and Connie Talbot, an English singer. On the phone with my sister, who had sent me the link, we both admitted we wanted it to be real, if only because it fit the narrative that Zelensky, an entertainer before becoming a politician, could do anything to a world long starved of a hero. The Ukrainian president reminded us of the power of unyielding courage in the face of overwhelming odds. And why, and this is me speaking, <laughs> End quote. And why are those fucking odds overwhelming? Because NATO was never fucking ready to help out Ukraine. Just eager to dangle the carrot of membership, of meaningless membership. <laughs> but they didn't let the Ukrainians know that it was meaningless. Uh, <laughs> holy shit. Yeah, that was the funniest article I've read in a while. Um, let me read some more. Maybe part of our infatuation is that so few expected so much from Zelensky. Before becoming akin to Superman, he was a television personality and a comedian, a funny guy, but signs of Backbone were also plain to see Zelensky had already proved himself to be a stand-up guy when, the, when then President Donald Trump asked him to investigate Joe Biden and his son Hunter in the 2020 campaign approach. As the 2020 campaign approach, a week before the call, Trump had frozen almost 400 million in military aid for Ukraine. Trump was running a squeeze play. Get me some dirt on Biden, he told Zelensky, and Ukraine can have its weapons. This improper hostage taking of funds for personal political gain resulted in Trump's first impeachment trial. Note, Zelensky never did investigate the Bidens, a decision that must seem providential in retrospect. Also, fucking note. <laughs> This is outside the the, <laughs> the article again. Um, Trump was not impeached for Russian collusion. He was impeached for this. <laughs> for doing what every American president does. Politically interfere in the affairs of other fucking countries. Um, anyway, yeah, that, that was his impeachment. Uh, that was that was uh, what he was impeached for. Continuing on. <laughs> In the present context, such gambits now seem almost quaint. 
nearly three weeks into Russia's invasion of, invasion of Ukraine, the 44-year-old Zelensky is Russia's number one target. Tuesday, as Zelensky likely was preparing for a scheduled virtual address to a joint session of Congress on Wednesday, Olena Zelenska posted online, Like all wives in Ukraine, I'm afraid for my husband's life. Zelensky long ago mastered the art of simultaneously taunting Putin and inspiring the world. In one recent guide, Zelensky showcased a photo of an apparent Russian missile fragment found near his residence in Kiev. Quote, Missed, Zelensky said to Moscow. <sighs> anyway, I'll stop there. <laughs> um, yeah, so going back to like the whole propaganda thing, I feel like I'm being propagandized here. And there's no need to ban Russian affiliated websites or news channels. For me to feel, I mean, like the propaganda is coming from within, just like it happened for the last five fucking years with Russiagate. We don't need the Russians. We don't need a Russian intervention. We don't even need the Russian invasion for local media to generate a lot of garbage that they feed us. Um, it seems like they're And somebody else, Matt Taibbi, was talking about uh, DoubleSync, you know, reading 1984 and stuff. And I feel like yeah, I kind of tend to avoid 1984 metaphors because it's just like so overdone. And it's like it's 1984 in all directions. Um, but there is this sort of like DoubleSync at play where the majority of people can understand that a no-fly zone would lead to a direct conflict between NATO and Russia to nuclear armed powers, which could be instantly disastrous. They understand that. And well, and at the same time, they'll praise to no end Zelensky who is calling for precisely that a no-fly zone he's pleading for this so it seems like the world is at both at the same time Praising this man to no end, a portion of the world, while at the same time knowing <laughs> that they're not going to give him what he wants, or that there's a <laughs> the chances of giving him what he wants are extremely slim.
and it's like you can't praise him for calling for a no-flight zone if you suspect that it would lead to a nuclear armed conflict no matter how you may feel about the invasion of Ukraine. <sighs> it's a masquerade. It's a ball. We're all dancing and pretending. <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. Whatever. <laughs> I just mean there's a lot of fucking masks. There's a lot of fucking masks. Uh, <laughs> lots of pretending to be doing one thing while actually not doing the one thing you're pretending to fucking do. And everybody knows full well who's pretending what. And why. And yet, anything... Tr yeah, anyway. And meanwhile... <laughs> as far as I know, Canada's still supplying arms to Saudi Arabia, who has been obliterating Yemen for years. Canada's still <sighs> participated in the Afghan war, committed war crimes there, well documented. It's not to say, I feel like, why not support Ukraine? Why not attempt to support Ukraine with diplomatic, by diplomatic means, through diplomatic means? Everybody knows, everybody's aware that arming Ukrainians further army them against a foe who is vastly superior, who has vastly superior weaponry. That's the Russians too, they're like the second biggest, I think it's, yeah, definitely, the second biggest arms spender in the world after the United States. The, no matter how many small arms you funnel into the country, they won't be able to repel the invasion. The most success... The <laughs> and I'll stop there. <laughs> I don't know fuck all about wars or how to stop them. Uh, <laughs> my suspicion is the diplomatic means will be better <laughs> uh, than this arming of Civilians, you see, like, uh, children, uh, learning how to fire guns. There was a story in the National Post going on about how many Canadian fighters are in Ukraine. Um, the headline was, so many can exclusive, National Post exclusive, so many Canadian fighters in Ukraine, they have their own battalion, sources say. One source says, 
The International Legion for the Territorial Defense of Ukraine says 550 would-be fighters from Canada are based in Kiev. There's so many Canadians have shown up to, uh, in Ukraine to fight the country's new foreign legion. The organization has set up a separate Canadian battalion. Uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's intense, right? Because this was precisely the sort of action that was condemned when it was Muslim countries being invaded. Uh, and it's now running quietly praised. Not super loud all the time, but often, you know, noting it with no negative language attached to young men, mostly young men, idiotically going to war. As though, ah, oh God. <sighs> anyway, <laughs> sixth wave of COVID is here in Canada, coming soon, coming at you. It's rising up. <laughs> you thought I, I could, I made it all this fucking far without mentioning COVID. <laughs> I gotta mention, uh, it's my beat. Uh, <laughs> it's coming at us. Uh, I'm, yeah. Oh my god. We're so as unprepared as ever. Uh, in denial of any waves. I think the, the interim, whatever health authority guy, Luke Besson. Is it Luke Besson? I anyway, the guy who replaced Horatio Arruda, Luke. Um, saying that the next wave ain't coming until August, right? It's in Europe now, but it's not coming to Canada until August. Um, meanwhile, the federal government has decided to suspend all uh, testing requirements for enter entering the country as of April 1st. So, school kids no longer wearing masks in Quebec. Um... <laughs> So, yeah, I'm prepared as ever. And we are preparing ourselves to be more unprepared as the infection rates climb. But <laughs> how well we will know if they're climbing now that we've restricted, restricted testing so much. Anyway, I guess <laughs> there's so many stories about Ukraine right now. It's just like, ugh. I feel like a, I'm in such a brain fog of like, I don't know what's going on. And you know what's surprising too? I feel like the most surprising part for me all the time is that I check the news regularly and I feel like I've seen very little footage of what's actually happening in Ukraine. I feel like from other conflicts, from Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, a lot much footage of like the damage happening was 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 arriving quickly. In this case, it's a lot of stories where I hear it from both sides, and then I don't know exactly what's true, and 
Now, it's not always accompanied by a lot of images. I know the Russians are invading and that they're, you know, they start bombing military targets and once those run out, just like the Americans do, they start bombing civilian targets. They start bombing, bombing civilian infrastructure. Um, Americans bombed, you know, Al Jazeera offices numerous times in various countries. Uh, they bombed hospitals too. And it seems like, yeah, the Russians are making the exact same moves. time to try to follow the news. It's a weird time. Um, I'm actually considering taking a full, like, maybe a full week break. Just like erasing my Twitter for a bit. Erasing everything. Just reading about the weather. How warm it's going to be tomorrow. Or how cold. And having that be it. I'm watching some bad TV. Always there to comfort you. Alright. That's it. That's it for today. Enough ranting. <laughs> Will I even publish this? Oh, maybe I should edit it all out. Oh, God. It's such a garbage. Okay. Bye.